0: Let's pray for God's blessing on His Word. Lord, we turn to You now. We know that Your Word is living and active, that it pierces between joint and marrow, that it brings conviction of sin, but it also brings restoration as we trust in Jesus and it points us to Him and His cross. And so we pray this morning as we come to Him that You would nourish us by the truth of Your Word so that we would be able to stand in the evil day Against the schemes of the devil, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture passage is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And you'll find that on page 700 and, or excuse me, 979 of the Pew Bible. Uh, you may recall, last week, I, I put out a challenge to everybody that during the time that we are studying this particular section, that we all memorize these 10 verses together. Uh, ephesians six ten through twenty, so that we would be better equipped for the spiritual battle in which we face. you may recall from earlier this week that the sad news of an army ranger uh, who was killed in battle this past week uh, came across the news. He had served more tours than anyone else, uh, I think in the history of the army. fourteen tours in battle and This was a man who knew the pressures of constantly being under attack, of constantly having to deal with the enemy, of constantly being vigilant and watchful. And for Christians, that ought to be the case as well, that we are those people who are constantly on the watch because we are those people who are aware of the pressures. Some of you may feel at this particular point in life, the pressures are greater maybe than they have been in a long time. And so we need to be vigilant and watchful because we have now entered into a cosmic battle by union with Christ. We are marked people and Satan would like nothing less than to trip us up. And so we need to hear from God's Word here what He has to say to us this morning. Paul writes, "...Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil." Making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul commands the church here very clearly that we're to put on the armor of God that we may be able to withstand in the evil day. Now, evil day can refer to the time period in which we live, that God in His wisdom has conquered Satan, but yet we still live in a time period where Satan is active and at work, where he is constantly trying to trip up the people of God and fight against us. And so therefore, it may refer to the whole gospel age until Christ returns. Or it may just actually mean that there are, Certain seasons or days that are more evil than others in our lives. Days when we feel the intensity of the attack even greater. Paul himself is writing, as he says, as an ambassador in chains. One who knows the pressures of being under house arrest. Knows the pressure of his execution being imminent. And so it may be that Paul is speaking here of this evil day being a day in which you feel the attacks of Satan more explicitly. Martin Luther was a man who knew such attacks. You may recall some of the pressures that he was under. He was called to the Diet of Worms to recant all of his teachings. He would not do so and remain strong and resolute. Here I stand and I can do no other. And on the way back home, you may also recall the story of how he was kidnapped, not by his enemy, but actually by a friend, Frederick the Wise. Because Frederick the Wise knew that Martin Luther one day would probably be captured and killed, and so he kidnapped him to keep him safe. And he was hid at a castle in Wartburg. And during that time of his exile, you might say, Martin Luther translated the Bible into German, so that the German people could read the Scriptures for themselves. And yet he was such aware and so conscious of the enemy's opposition to them, that there was actually a day in which he felt like Satan was visible to him, that Satan's presence was so powerful. And so he did the only thing he knew to do, he picked up his inkwell and he threw it as hard as he could, at what he thought was Satan with him in the room. And supposedly the legend is that the ink stain on the wall is still there to this day. He was a man who was consciously aware of the enemy's attack and sensed his need of help. And one of the things that's so important to the Apostle Paul here is not only that we know about the armor of God, but that we have this conscious sense that I need help, that I cannot engage in this battle all by myself. That it is the Lord's work. That it is His battle. That we do not stand in our own power, but rather, as He says, in the strength of His might. So in this battle of this spiritual warfare, we are not putting on our own armor. It's not our own power. It's not our own righteousness. It's not our own wisdom. It's not our own strength that we need. But it's actually the armor that God can give to His people. And gives graciously he says here it's the armor of god that we are putting on we're not arming ourselves with our own weaponry but rather with what he provides and so paul wants the church to glory in her savior to glory in christ jesus and to put on the armor that he gives and provides all that we need we need to be vigilant there's a quote from a puritan by the name of william gurnall who said this In heaven we shall appear not in armor, but in robes of glory. But here the pieces of armor are to be worn night and day. We must walk, work, and sleep in them, or else we are not true soldiers of Christ. And again he says, the saint's sleeping time is Satan's tempting time. We must put on the armor of God daily. This is why I'm calling upon us to memorize this passage. Because if we do not armor ourselves with what He provides, then we are open to attack. And our faith is vulnerable. And so he says, put on the armor of God. It's the greatest preparation that we can do. So what is this armor? First of all, it's this. It's actually Christ's armor. It's Christ's armor. Now Paul uh, told the children last week was likely chained to a Roman guard when he was under house arrest and pinning these words to the Ephesians. must have been a sobering sight to see this powerful Roman guard next to him. And it may have been that that is what triggered his thinking about putting on the armor of God, but it's not the actual root of this concept of the armor of God. Because it actually goes back to the Old Testament and imagery that we find in the Old Testament. God is presented as a warrior in the Bible. Think of Psalm 24, where this mighty God is called upon as a warrior who goes out and fights for his people. God is a warrior and he has armor for the battle. In fact, we read in Isaiah chapter 59 of the Lord as this great warrior who has armor for himself. And it says that the Lord saw it and it displeased him. That is to say, the evil and oppression of the day. That there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. In other words, there's no one to fight for justice. And then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on the righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Earlier in Isaiah, chapter 11, where the root of Jesse is spoken of, which is a very clear indication that what we're talking about is the Messiah. And Jesus is the root of Jesse. He's the one who puts on the belt of truth. You see this picture here that Paul is giving of this armor of God is the very armor that Jesus cloaked Himself with when He came to do battle. You remember Jesus' temptation in the wilderness by Satan, and Jesus withstood because he put on this armor of God that only God can provide. He tested it, he proved it, and now he gives it to you. It's Christ's armor. What he's calling us to do is put on Christ. In World War II in the Pacific campaign in the Philippines. U.S. forces were actually driven back by the Japanese into the Bataan Peninsula. And because of that, the U.S. forces were forced to march on the what's called the Bataan Death March. Many soldiers died on the way. Those who did not die were tortured and beaten. But their commanding officer, General MacArthur, was ordered to leave. And he escaped by a light boat and found a ship and was transferred to Australia. Now I understand in military terms, there's a need for the commander to get out of harm's way. But let me tell you this, that is not the commander that you and I have. You and I have the commander who has gone all the way into the heart of the battle. Who's been armed with God's armor. And he has proved it to be trustworthy. So that now when you and I put it on, we have confidence that it actually works. It's not untested, but it's one that he has proven true. And if you put it on, he says it will work. And that's just what Paul is saying here: is put on Christ, put on Jesus by faith, put on His righteousness, put on His gospel of peace, put on His truth. Because it's only when we abide in Jesus that we have not only confidence but we have the weapons that really wage warfare and work. So Paul here tells us to put on the armor of Christ so that we can fight the good fight. But he also tells us to put on the whole armor, he says. Now some people teach that because the battle belongs to the Lord that we actually do nothing. Sort of the let go and let God approach. God will take care of it. All I need to do is turn it over to the Lord. But that's not the way the Scriptures speak. James chapter 4, verse, tel, verse 7 tells us, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Paul says to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. He is engaged in warfare. And what does he tell us here? But he tells us here that we are to be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. That we wrestle here, not against flesh and blood, But we wrestle against our real enemy. There's a wrestling that goes on. There's a need to be strong. Why? Because we ourselves are engaged in this battle. And if we're going to be successful, we need to put on the whole armor of God, he says. Twice Paul says that. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. Verse 13, take up the whole armor of God. Now there's a reason that he says that. It's not just put on God's armor, but put on the whole armor of God. Because He knows our tendency. Our tendency to maybe pick up a piece that we like. A certain weapon that maybe feels better in our hands than others. And to leave others aside. Maybe it's our own pride that says, I don't need that armament. I just need this over here. And He wants us to put on the whole armor of God. That's why He takes time to explain what each piece is. And He tells us that the whole body is covered when He gets finished. And so He wants us to know each piece well and never assume that we only need certain portions of it. And that's because we're in a battle. And if the smallest part of our soul is exposed, the enemy will find that weakness and he will exploit it. And so we need every bit of what Jesus can provide for us. When we are attacked in whatever way of life that we are attacked in whatever avenue of life that we feel like we're attacked it may be from a friend it may be from an enemy it may be from a boss it may be from a spouse it may be from a non-christian it may be from a christian but whenever we are attacked we will respond to defend ourselves and the question is with what weaponry are we responding and much like i told the children there are times in which we Put on not the whole armor of God, but rather we put on the armament of the world, the weapons that the world provides to us. So that what we end up with is sort of a piecemeal, patchwork armament. Part of it the armor of God, and part of it pieces of armament and weaponry that we can grab from the world. And we defend ourselves with it. Things like, I deserve what's coming to me. You remember Mary and Martha? You remember Martha worked so hard and she wanted to have the credit and she wanted Mary to help her out. Lord, make her do it. Because I deserve it. There are other things like uh, deception. That's a weapon of the world too. Remember how Abraham went to Egypt for protection and he lied to Pharaoh about his own wife. I'll use this weapon. This is what will save me. He didn't put on the whole armor of God. Or self-reliance. Think about some of the kings of the Old Testament. One of the commands that was given to the king in the book of Deuteronomy is that the king was not to amass himself a great army and have chariots and horses. Why? Because he would become self-reliant. What did Solomon do? When you see the list of all that Solomon owned, his stables were filled with horses and chariots for war. Self-reliance. Think about David. Think about when he called upon his own people to be counted in a census. Why? so that he could count up all the able-bodied soldiers. Self-reliance. These are weapons of the world, and here's the thing: they will fail you, and they will fail me, because they're not proven by Jesus to work. They're not His armament. And because of that, actually, the enemy will use them against us. Just like a, a cannon that explodes on its own troops, the enemy will use the weapons that we wage warfare with that are owned by the world against us, and they will backfire. So that what happens is relationships are exploded rather than peace coming to fruition. So God says, put on the whole armor. Of God. Well finally this. We want to look at a few pieces of this armament. This morning. Scholars divide them up into two groups of three. The first three we'll look at this morning. Uh, and these three are, you might say. Uh, are grouped together because. They are the ones that are actually attached to the body for protection. And the first is this. It's the belt of truth. We're told here in verse 14. Stand therefore. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Now the belt was an essential piece of an equipment for a soldier. In those days, soldiers didn't have fitted shirts and pants, but rather they wore loose-fitting clothes, a, a robe or a tunic, you might say. And if they were to go into battle, they would easily trip over this long and flowing robe. They wouldn't be able to wield their sword and spear very well. And so they needed a belt that sort of cinched everything together. A belt that would even hold their sword. And so the belt is something that actually gave a soldier the ability to move unencumbered. Ability to engage in battle without having hindrances and being entangled. And what Paul says here is we're to put on this belt and it's the belt of truth. Now... We might think that is equal to the Word of God. Now, certainly, the Word of God is the source of truth. But actually, later on, he speaks of the Word of God as the sword of the Spirit. So truth is slightly different. It's actually, you might say, not just the Bible, but it's whole truth. A whole system of truth. In other words, being able to look at the world with a biblical worldview so that no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, you know what God's Word has to say about that particular area of life. You might think of it even as wisdom. Being able to take all the principles of Scripture in a cohesive system and then applying those to life in an orderly way. You might think of it as truth applied. It's not simply being able to quote Bible verses, but it's wisdom from the world. Jesus quoted Bible verses back to Satan when He was tempted in the wilderness, but that's not simply what we're talking about. We're talking about the whole truth of the Scriptures. Rightly applying biblical principles at the right time. Being balanced in our understanding of the truth. Sometimes one of the things that we do is we overemphasize certain doctrines certain biblical principles, maybe even to the exclusion of others. So that we lean towards law without Gospel. The law is important, but it's important in the context of the Gospel of grace. Or sometimes we seek the blessings of the Christian life without understanding God's teaching of the suffering of the Christian life. We need to have a balanced understanding of the doctrines of Scripture, sometimes we major on the minors. Our particular style of worship that we like. Maybe our particular style of parenting that we think is the biblical and right way, and any of these other ones cannot be right. And we major on the minors. Maybe another way is just simply misapplying the truth. For instance... Laying hold of the freedom of the Gospel at the expense of my weaker brother. God never wants me to do that. I can't misapply the freedom of the Gospel and do damage to my weaker brother. So what Paul is saying here is put on the whole truth of the Word of God so that you are ready and unencumbered. Satan would use all of these things against us if he could. Think about how he tried to use the Bible against eve did god say that you cannot eat from any of the trees of the garden he changed one single word and caught her it's the same thing he tried to do with jesus in the wilderness use the scriptures against us that's why we need our minds so saturated with bible truth that we constantly are applying it in life and growing in wisdom to know a balanced approach to the Christian life. So Paul here wants us to put on the belt of truth. As Peter says in 1 Peter 1.13, prepare your minds for action. Literally, gird up the loins of your minds so that you are ready. Now, one of the ways in which satan seeks to sidetrack us in this regard is to get us to live by our emotions rather than by what we know is true how often have we gotten ourselves into trouble because we have responded irrationally sometimes out of emotion rather than stopping and thinking clearly what is the truth being ready for action because I know the truth and my mind's so saturated with it, and I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna think and I'm gonna do what God says because I trust his word. Because so often our emotions run away with us, and they get us into trouble because we're not sanctified by the truth. Well, secondly, the second armor piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness, he says, having put on the breastplate of of righteousness verse 14 now this breastplate is not simply what we typically think of it as a a shield that goes over the front but actually something that wrapped all the way around the thorax it was there to guard and protect the vital organs and in the scripture it's the vital organs that are thought of as the seat of affections for people literally in the bible the heart is often spoken of as the kidneys the vital organs that keep our body functioning and working, and this breastplate of righteousness covers all of it. So that even if we get a, a wound to the leg, we're, we're not necessarily in danger of dying because our vital organs are protected. And it's a breastplate of righteousness. Now righteousness is, you might think of it as, being in a right relationship both with God, with His people, and with creation. Righteousness is a covenantal term. That I'm in a right relationship because I'm bound in covenant to God, to people, and I'm even bound in covenant to take care of His world. And so righteousness is right living, lawful living within the context of this covenant that He has established with His people. And though sin separates us from God, one of the things that we need to constantly be Bringing to mind and drawing to mind is the fact that it's not our righteousness that enables us to stand before the Lord. You remember what Paul wrote? God has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. One of the things that Satan wants to do is to. Open us up to attack by believing that it's my righteousness that enables me to stand before the Lord, that puts me in right relationship to God. He'll say something like, You're almost there. Keep going a little bit harder. If you keep working at it, you're going to get there, and then the Lord will, be approved, will approve of you. So you're almost there. Maybe the opposite you're just not good enough you're just not good enough. And it brings a sense of tyranny to us. Or, you don't deserve the blessings that God gives to His people. And do you see what He's doing? He's trying to get us to put on a breastplate of works righteousness. Rather than the believing the Gospel that Jesus has not only taken our sins away, but He has credited all of Christ's righteousness to your account. So that now and forevermore you stand before the Lord Not only cleansed, but declared righteous. Acceptable in His sight. We all know how the guilt of past sins can cripple us. We get trapped even in a cycle of sin. Feelings of guilt, feelings of shame. Self-loathing over the fact that we have once again fallen in this way. And before long, there's a defeated mentality in our own mind. And we grow tired Spiritually, so we give up and we give in. What's the use anyway? I'm just going to fail again. And so we give up and we give in and we end up falling further and further into sin. And do you see when Satan comes along and says, You're not worthy, that's when you need to put on the breastplate of righteousness to say, You're right, I'm not worthy in myself. But Christ has made me worthy. So that you stand strong and confident and say, I will not trust in my works, but I will only trust in Jesus. Well, finally, let me mention this the gospel shoes that God gives to us. Verse 15, he says, And shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Roman soldiers did not wear boots. Combat boots, but rather they wore a type of sandal. had a very firm leather bottom to it and was wrapped up with straps around their ankles. But it actually gave them an advantage in battle because shoes were not readily available in those days. These sandals, you might say, would even have a form of a a cleat on the bottom of them. So that when they were ready to engage in battle, they had firm footing. They would not slip. And that's what God wants for you and me too, that we will not slip. You remember Asaph in Psalm 73 who declared to the Lord, my foot had almost slipped when I envied the ignorant and the unrighteous. He wants us to have firm footing, a firm foundation. What he says is that it's the gospel of peace, the good news that God has made peace between me and Him. There's no longer any animosity. There's no longer any anger that God has at me. But rather, He delights in me as a child and there's peace. Friends, you're not ready for battle if you wonder if God really loves you. You're not ready for battle and you don't stand on firm ground unless you understand that you've already won in Christ because He's already given you peace with Him. And it's only when we understand that we stand on firm ground. There's peace between me and between God. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. It requires a complete love, an unconditional love on our part, a pure love, unhindered love, and we cannot love God like that if we wonder and fear if God really is at peace with us so he says, put on as your shoes the gospel of peace that gives you confidence and assurance before the throne of your father. Friends, we're in a battle. And what he wants us to be able to do here is withstand in the evil day. He says over and over that we ought to be able to stand. Now, why just be able to stand? Because what he's talking about is at the end of the day when the battle is over and the dust settles, that you're the one who's still standing with Jesus and with the rest of His people. Let us not fall because we have not put on the armor that Christ gives, but rather let us engage the battle each and every day with the trustworthy, tried and true armor that only Christ can give. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank You that You've given us all that we need for life and godliness in Christ. And we pray that we would be aware of our need of help and that we would cry out to You and that each and every day as we get up in the morning we would seek to put on Your armor so that we would be able to stand so that at the end of the day we would still be standing and have not fallen to the schemes of the devil. We pray this for the glory of our Savior. Amen.